Welcome to this service. We look forward to each and every Sunday that we can be together. Um, hoping that that reminds us that as the body of Christ, we are always together. And that our connection is continuous. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we're grateful that those of us who have been able are here this morning. We are grateful that you are always with us. But I'm reminded of places where people aren't able to get together, where churches have not been able to meet because of this pandemic, and where they do not have the technical capacity to meet virtually. I know those Christians are struggling, but they're being creative and inventive to find ways to serve each other and to serve you. So we lift them up to you, but we also pray, Lord, that their spirit will infect us. That just because it's easier for us that we will not take for granted the fact that we are your children and you have named us as such. And that with that comes opportunity and responsibility. So as we worship you this day, meet us as Father, directing and guiding our lives and showing us what you expect us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I want to read to you from Psalm 133. So if you want to open up to that psalm and follow along. How very good and pleasant it is when kidren live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard on the beard of Aaron running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. There are folks who would tell us today that we're writing our own stories and that we're the main character in that story and, and this song. Um, and your words, Josh, remind us that our stories intertwine, sometimes they're parallel for a while, sometimes they're in, intertwined for a while, and then they separate. But we know something that these literary critics and social scientists are, haven't quite caught up with. Our stories are subplots of a much greater story. And it's God's story that's being written. God's the author, God's the one who is crafting the narrative and we get to participate in that. And we get to, to share some of those things uh, with him in the midst of our own story. So thank you. And we will always be joined in this narrative that God is producing to bring about his kingdom. That narrative started a long time ago. And I want you to read with me in Genesis chapter 2. 
be quick because it's, it's a short reading. Verse 19 and verse 20a. Genesis 2:19. So out of the ground the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle, to all the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. Names, language. Um, we take language for granted sometimes, and we don't recognize just how it permeates us and how, how much of it we actually share. Now, I want to I want to take a little bit of a survey. Uh, am I the only person here today whose family came out of the Ozarks? We're used to being a minority. Appalachia. Any Appalachians? All right. Now, we're going to see if any of the rest of you recognize these very important American words. Watch him call it. Anybody else know watch him call it? Do fidget. Do fidget. Now, I see. I, I thought you might know watch him call it, but do fidget. That, you know why some of us, well, some of us know both of those and all, most of us know the other? is because we share. We share enough that you, you, you begin immediately to try to fill in the gaps with these catch-all words. And they're very important words for us. But they're not as good as the names themselves. Adam was given a very important assignment. He was told by God to name the animals. And that was a choice assignment. Can you imagine being able to call a hippo something other than a hippopotamus? Wouldn't you like to be able to give, I mean, mosquitoes. That, is, that does not go anywhere near describing the, the aggravation those things cause. They need a different name. But nobody asked me, but that's what I would have done. Now, let us not miss that God was inviting Adam into his creative process. The creation wasn't complete. It just said God rested. And now Adam is being invited to be a part of God's creative act. And when Adam began naming animals, the world acquired a new level of order. Because in Scripture, there is always this, this tension, this battle between chaos and order. And Adam was able to participate in that order-creating process by giving out names. These names were used to identify, specify, to describe and distinguish between the animals of the world. Now you may not know this, but Brenda and I have a couple of grandchildren. What? Yeah, we got, a hat. We got, we got our own football team. Um, I mean, we can only, they only be, we, we need another, if they're offense, we need a defense, or they're going to have to play both sides. But, but we're on our own football team, and we have enjoyed watching them learn to speak. 
Now, Brenda and I never spoke baby talk to our kids. We've had people tell us that was a mistake. We don't think so. But all of our children and the grandchildren we've been around when they were this age first started grunting. I mean, they get their own language. Have you ever been in a grocery store with a kid who already knows what they want to eat? And you're pushing them in the cart past that favorite brand of cereal or candy? They're like a Geiger counter. They start clicking, wanting, they're communicating, aren't they? Kids can communicate before they can talk. You see, naming and the use of words has power. Our youngest grandchild thinks he's speaking Spanish. He has got all the rest of the family understanding that when we ask him a question and he says, see, and it's always with a little nod, see, that he means yes. We can't get him to say yes. Everything, the rest of the stuff we think is English, mostly, but he's two. How can you tell? Um, but C is distinct and clear. When children are learning a language, there's a double process going on. They're not like Adam, not completely. They don't get to name things anew. They are being given the names of things. There's a double process. They're, their world has a horizon that is equal to that of their parents. And so their world is now being shaped and formed by how their parents name things and how their, their community names things. Yeah, they'll get around to it. They're going to be teenagers one of these days. And you, those of us who have raised teenagers know that every generation of teenagers tries to create their own language to confound us. New words that we don't know what it means. I remember asking my sons the other day what it meant to gaslight. I, 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 I gave them my interpretation and I was correct this time. But gaslight to me is something you read under, not something you do. Some of you don't know what it is, do you? I ain't telling. I, I, I'm protecting the sanctity of, of the younger generation. The purpose of naming is to gain control. We name things in order to control them. Much of the naming we do is good. We say, you've got Aunt Janet's hair. Doesn't he walk like his dad? You've got my temper and you're going to have to learn to control it like I am. You're such a bright boy. Isn't she a cute thing? Naming. Those things have the power to shape us, to give us an impression of who we are. In the past, and still in other countries, people get names because of some type of meaning. Mostly today, we just hope that our children don't give our grandchildren names that will embarrass them in school, okay? Um, but 
That wasn't always, that isn't always the case. You remember in 1 Samuel 25, there was an incident. David ran into this guy named Nabal. And Nabal wasn't very respectful. He, in fact, insulted David and his, his servants. And, Sabal, and Nabal, Nabal's servants went directly to Abigail to inform her of her husband's actions. She went in search of David. Her words are recorded in 1 Samuel 25, 25. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is Fool. And folly goes with him. Names shape our destiny, our narrative, our participation in God's narrative. Some years ago I read this story and it stuck with me. There was a man vacationing in the Bahamas who saw a large and restless crowd gathered on a pier. When he investigated, he discovered that they were standing there looking uh, at a young man who was making last minute preparations to, to move away from the pier and begin a round the world uh, journey by himself in a homemade boat. And without exception, everyone on the pier was pessimistic and voicing their pessimism. Uh, they were actively volunteering to tell this guy that things were going to go as bad as they possibly could. The sun is going to boil you. You won't have enough food. That boat of yours won't withstand the first waves of the first storm. You'll never make it. The story says, my friend heard all these things, all these discouraging warnings, and he felt this, un, this irresistible desire to be optimistic and encouraging. So as the little, boy, the little boat's pulling away from the, the pier, he begins waving and shouting and, and making all kinds of noise, and he keeps saying, Bon voyage! You're really something! Good luck! We're proud of you! Well, I don't know how you feel if you were pulling away from the pier in a questionable boat. Two different sets of message. But how do you think our kids feel when we ship them off to college? How do you think they feel when we launch them out into the world and we've given them names like stupid and lazy and careless and selfish? unlovable. Most of you know I'm still adjuncting at, at Greenville University and my class is invariably freshman. And when I was subbing at Belleville East and West, I experienced the same thing with those high school kids. The number of students who do not act as students who do not try to be students because they have already been told that it is not worth their effort because they can't succeed. They have been named as losers. And so one of the, one of the jobs that I've had the last few years that I didn't have earlier on, some, yes, but more so than ever, 
is trying to convince students that they're students, that they can rise above the labels that have been placed on them by their family and their community. Now, I was very intentional a few minutes ago when I talked about some positive messaging. But it illustrates what I'm saying. Subtly, things we don't even think about sometimes. Did you notice the difference between you're such a bright boy and isn't she a cute little thing? We have three daughters. And I did everything in my power as a father to reinforce for my daughters that they were as smart, they were as capable, they were as creative as their brothers because I knew the world in which they were being raised, that I could not protect them from the names that they were going to be given by those who saw things differently. The power to name can be positive and it can promote life. Or the power to name can be negative and it can take away life. Naming has immense power. Names tend to stick. And I suspect that if we were in a conversation at this point in this sermon, some of you have already begun to remember some of the names that you had. And the damage, or hopefully, the goodwill that they promoted in you. How many of you remember when the Phoenix Cardinals played in St. Louis? Any of you remember when they played in Chicago? I don't, that's way before my time, but I remember hearing that they did. But you know, when Bidwell moved the Cardinals to Phoenix, it took a number of years for the, uh, the commentators on TV to quit calling them the St. Louis Cardinals. People speculated as to why that was. I, to me, it was very simple. They're their level of play never improved. They still continued to play like the St. Louis Cardinals, so they kept the name of the St. Louis Cardinals. It was interesting, after they got better and won the Super Bowl, nobody makes that mistake anymore. You see, there's hope when we've got a bad name. When we're wearing around a bad label, there's hope that it can change. Uh, we don't have to live up to the names that we've been given. The power of God is greater than any other power to name. Now, God delegated it to Adam for his use as part of his creative process. God delegates it to us, but like everything else we do that we've acquired from God, we corrupt part of it. We don't do it perfectly. We don't do it well. We use names to, to control. We, we use them to try to influence our children and others towards positive things. But we also use them to put people in boxes and keep them down. If you're living with the destructive consequences of a negative name, you can be free. The same God who created the universe is willing to rename you. You remember that old guy, Jacob? You remember what Jacob stands for in the Bible? 
there, there's a little bit of a controversy, but it's that it's either deceiver or grasper. Can you imagine as a little kid running around with a name that you knew meant you were a deceiving little brat? Well, he lived up to it, didn't he? When he got older, he betrayed his father and his brother and his mother and grasped the birthright. He lived up to his name. But then something happened. He came to this place called Bethel. And when he was in Bethel, in the middle of the night, he saw a ladder, excuse me, a ladder. And, and then the, he wrestled with God all night. And Genesis says, he wouldn't, as the morning was coming, he wouldn't let go until God blessed him. And he, he left that wrestling match with two new things, a limp and a new name. For you who are struggling with the potent results of bad naming, you need to pay attention to Jacob. All of his story with his father, with his brother, with his father-in-law, with his brother-in-laws, he struggled until one night he struggled with God. And it seems he began to realize that all of the time he had been struggling with God the whole time. And when Jacob realized that, and when he quit struggling with these others, God changed him forever. He changed his name to Israel. And he became the man who became the father of a nation. So how are you named? Who has named you? Job, we're told in the beginning of the book of Job, loved the Lord. Satan wanted to rename him. We read in the book of Job how there was this continual conflict and this pull towards Job for Job to become selfish and self-centered. But he knew the accusations were a lie. He knew because of his relationship that living with God meant living with God. You see, we tend to live up to our names. And this morning I'd like for you, whether you're here with us on the lawn or you're watching us from your living room, I want you to to be honest with yourself about what is your real name. Is it fearful? Is it unworthy? Is it cheater? Or is it helpful? Is it loving? Is it the child of God? We are not born the children of God. We are adopted. 
In the New Testament days, adoption was a very specific ceremony. Any man wishing to adopt a son would take the boy into the marketplace and declare there for everyone to see that that boy was now his son and heir. And the adoption was complete. And in the first chapter of John, we read these words. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So my friends, names make a difference. You remember the old saw? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Any of you use those? Yeah, me too. Then I got bigger. Sticks and stones will break, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is nonsense. The hurt from words lasts longer than sticks and stones. But God will heal us. He will identify the destructive names in us like he did in Jacob. And it doesn't matter who gave them to us. It doesn't matter if it was a parent or a sibling or some bully at school. God will identify those names and change them if we give him permission. If we claim the name and live the name children of God. It doesn't matter if you think you're worthless. God sent his son to die for you. That's the value he places upon you. In fact, God's intention is, is that you will lose your anger with those who've misnamed you, who've abused you. You need to claim the love that he has made available to you to live in these situations. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 13. Love never ends, but good eyesight does. Okay. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. We know in part, but we will be known fully. So here are some of the names God will bestow upon you. Faithful, kind, trustworthy, honest, lovable, Loving, child, beloved child. You remember, at the beginning I said Adam was invited into the creative process by naming the animals? Here's a secret. Not really one, but we act like it is. You're invited into the creative process as well. What God wants you to do is to understand his willingness to help you 
name yourself. God wants you to declare a name for yourself that reflects the life you want to lead, the person you intend to be. God has given you the power to do that, and He has not only given it to you, He reinforces your ability to do that. So I challenge you, wherever you are, here or in any other place, I challenge you to take God at His word. Claim His resources and renaming yourself. We are going to pray. We're going to be dismissed. But during the prayer, and then in the song following before our dismissal, think seriously about you, how you want us to call you from this point forward. Let us pray. I don't know why you place so much confidence in us, Lord, except maybe the reason is if we don't take advantage of the opportunity you've given us to name ourselves, who will? And if we don't do it for ourselves with your help and with your guidance, with your assistance, with your support, then we can't wear that name. Help each of us be brutally honest with ourselves. Help each of us, if we've already been renamed by you, be thankful this day for what you've done. Help us be willing to be witnesses to others that it's possible to be renamed. So, Lord, if we're here and, and we've been healed through a renaming process with you, let us be witnesses to others that healing is there. But there are those who are fearful and uncertain. May your spirit give them strength. Rename us, Lord, faithful. And citizens of your kingdom, as well as your children. So, Lord, as we leave this place in just a few moments, may we leave knowing that you have been here and that you go with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.